From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 286. Today's show is brought to you by Linode, Indeed, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure, as always, of being joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. It's good to be home. Do you mean recording Upgrade like you consider Upgrade like your home? Upgrade in my garage on a Monday morning is home. Because technically it's my home that yeah. I am recording in. That works. Hashtag okay. Snell Talk question for you this week comes from Jared, and Jared wants to know, Jason, do you have any advice for a non-tea drinker who isn't partial to the teas that they've tried before to become a tea drinker? Oh, boy. I mean, everybody's flavor, everybody's taste is different. So... Um, try different categories. Try different... Yeah, I was going to say, like, I really like English breakfast. That's a black tea. Um if you haven't tried English breakfast, try that. Not like, like Earl Grey people think of as tea, but that has it like extra flavor in it that, that turns a lot of people off. The I love Earl kind Grey. Of flavor. So uh, bla- straight up black tea, English breakfast, Irish breakfast is, is a good thing to start with. And then um, I would say if you don't like it or it seems too bitter or whatever. Oh, also, by the way, a little advice for uh, look at the, the instructions because like a lot of people who don't know anything about tea, like leave the tea bag in forever mm. and it gets super bitter and awful the tea bag should be in for like three minutes if you're using a tea bag like three minutes it's just don't leave the tea bag in too long um you might like it with honey you might like it with milk you might like it with sugar those are things that that um sort of like with coffee um some people will have it with nothing put in it or, or and you may end up there but you start with kind of diluting it with th- other things to make it sweeter and nicer um my daughter started drinking tea and uh, she's like a hummingbird. <laughs> like, it's just got to have all the sugar in it. And she puts milk in it. My wife just has milk in hers. And I just, I put honey in mine uh, because I'm also kind of like a hum- hummingbird. Um, uh, there's also, there are other kinds of teas. You could try green tea. You could try, uh, and again, look at the instructions because the instructions for brewing green tea are different from black tea. Or you could do like an herbal tea. I was, uh, my throat was feeling a little funny last night and I had a, a, a lemon herbal tea with some honey and that was really nice. So, you know, shop around. But I would say the key thing is start with something basic like black tea, like English breakfast. Try if it doesn't, uh, you know, don't, don't oversteep it and then try some add-ons to see if you can get it to be a flavor that you enjoy. And uh, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Like, uh, it's not for everybody. Yep. Uh, I would just like to recommend for people that are interested, my favorite tea. It is uh, Fortnum & Mason's Countess Grey, which is an Earl Grey, in, like, and it has some bergamot and orange flavors yep. in it. Uh, very good tea, Jason. Yeah, I, you know, Earl Grey is a... I've been having a bunch of different kinds of Earl Grey because I have a um, the podcast that I do with Scott McNulty about Star Trek. We're doing the Star Trek Picard show, and Captain Picard famously liked Earl Grey. So we have a sponsor who is a tea maker, and they have, and so there's lots of that tea. That is just tea. an excellent... What is the phrase on the... Tea Earl Grey hot. What, no, what, they, the, on 30 Rock? Yeah, they have like the something integration... You vertical know, integration. Vertical integration. It's a good one. Yeah, you know, it's like it's tea, pretty tea good. Sponsor. Like Captain Picard drinks tea, so why don't we have a tea sponsor? It's brilliant. Um, but anyway, he he sent me a package of his all of his Earl Greys, and so I've been going through those, and they're good. But Earl Grey is kind of a an acquired taste. It can be. Um, and and if you're starting out with something like Earl Grey, I I would caution you to go back to something like English Breakfast because English Breakfast is basically Earl Grey without those extra weird flavors put in it. And you might like the weird flavors, you might hate them. Some people hate them. I drink uh, Earl Grey with no milk, which is the way that Earl Grey should be should be consumed. 
with nothing, just straight up, just yeah. Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. Wow, I I am I I don't do that. <laughs> I actually have a cream Earl Grey, and I added a little milk to it, and it's so good. I've had but the yeah. cream Earl Grey from New Mexico Tea Company. Yep. And it's fantastic. Well, there we are. There you've seen. Yeah. They're not sponsoring this this time, but they are sponsoring my other podcast, which yeah. you can listen to at the Incomparable. All about. But I had it because they were once a sponsor of Upgrade. Yes, they were. And they sent me a packet, and it was they were fantastic. So, tea time. Uh, let's do some pocket follow up, which we knew was going to happen. So on last week's episode. We spoke about how me and Jason believe an iPhone should be put into your pocket, and we both agreed, right pocket, uh, with the screen towards us, and the lightning port should be facing towards us, basically, right? This yes. is where we're going with that. Yes, and screen in. We knew that we were going to get lots of follow-up on this, and we did. I would like those, I have a selection of uh, tweets that have been sent to us, which encapsulate the majority of the follow-up. Ben has said, oh, just as a correction, we mentioned that the, we always had the headphone jack pointing towards the sky because that's how it was and we said all iphones but the you thought that they switched from the top to the bottom Mm. um almost immediately Mm -hmm. and you know being in a hotel room on an ipad i didn't want to quickly do the research it didn't sound right it was not right it it was on the bottom for a lot longer but it's uh, or on the top for a lot longer before it switched to the bottom the first iphone is the one that had the weird cut in design where Mm -hmm. you like needed an adapter for most headphones that weren't from apple but it did stay on the top for a while uh, Shelly wrote in, Shelly, who is the host of the wonderful Parallel here on Relay FM. Oh, listener Shelly, yeah. yeah. Uh, to say that there are some variables included, hand, including handedness. I agree. I think when we said, like, right pocket, that's just the one that we like, but if you use your yeah. phone with your left oh, hand, of course, my, change Mine's in my left. left. I, I didn't say right pocket, because mine's in my left pocket. No, well, right pocket's the correct pocket, in my opinion. Um, uh, whether I, the phone is in a case that covers the screen and must flop open for use, I can imagine that stuff would, of course, if you did use one of those, would change it. I can agree with this. Uh, Shelley did say also lack of actual pockets plays a role for some of us. Understand. Yes, I, w- I would say that if the question is what what do you where how do you put it in your pocket? If the answer is I don't have a pocket, that is a solid answer. <laughs> yeah, and you have to then like disregard everything we said because there is no pocket. Of course, there must mm. be a pocket for the pocket conversation to be in effect. Yes. Um, but Shelley is screen in, which is the correct way, left side pocket, top edge upward. My main thing on this is screen in. Uh, I, I do think that having it so is basically however you put orient the phone to make sure that it is facing towards you when you take it out of the pocket makes a lot of sense. So, for example, Cliver wrote in to say that if they have a suit on and they will put their phone in their inside suit jacket pocket you would then have the screen facing upwards rather than downwards and i agree with this when i wear a suit or a blazer and i put my phone in that pocket the phone faces up because the way that you take it out of the pocket it is then in the correct orientation so i agree with this yeah i it's a big day when i'm wearing pants so uh i have no suit opinions (laughs) okay uh but i work at home mike i work in a garage so do i jason but i like to dress fancy whenever i can but Mm. uh uh, vince says i face the screen outwards always there is a very good reason for this a screen replacement is cheaper than replacing the back glass on a new iphone so i would say about four years ago the screen inwards would be correct but since the iphone 8 and 10 generation not anymore i appreciate this feedback vince i totally disagree with it yeah um first off 
I care a lot more if my screen cracks than mm-hmm. if the back glass cracks. I, I, I actually don't care. And something we maybe didn't mention, you know, I'm using Apple's leather case, which yep. means my the rear of my phone has extra protection. And if it cracked, I wouldn't even see it. So I feel like this is all why I don't do that. <laughs> to sacrifice the screen of your phone to protect the back of the phone, you should be putting a case on your phone and then protecting yeah. the screen, right? Like that's how I, if, if you would go to the lengths of like, you will you will have your screen damaged first, right? Then I feel like you should just be wearing a case on the phone so then you won't damage the back of the phone, right? Yep. And Patrick says, do you not worry about the little metal grommets on your jeans scratching the screen as you take it in and out of your pocket? No. Um, well, I, I can answer this question because the change pocket with the extra rivets on it is on the right pocket, and I use my phone in my left pocket, and there are no little metal grommets over there. there uh, no, so no I, mine, I do have this problem because they go right pocket, um, uh-huh. and I do have little scratches on my phone, but I don't uh-huh. know if that's where they're coming from, but my phones have only been scratching in the last couple of years, which is very strange, uh, but no, I do not worry about that. But left screen in, pocket. screen left in, right pocket. pocket. No, that, I can't, look... Jason, <laughs> you can't make me change my pocket, right? Like, I've been doing that for too long now. Pocket is what it is. Uh, but th- I, I appreciate all the feedback that we've received. I think we can refine to say that the official upgrade rule on the way that a phone is put in a pocket is screen in. Me and Jason are agreed upon this, even after uh-huh. all this feedback. Screen in. You should be wearing a case if you're worried about the back. And yep. that... You should be putting your phone into the pocket in the way that when you remove it from the pocket, the screen is in the correct orientation. Right, right. Whether so, if you're if you're doing a kind of thing where you put two fingers in and kind of like pull it up, and then it's in the right way, or if you're doing the kind of I'm going to grab it and then pull mm-hmm. it out like I do, and then it's the right orientation. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad we've solved all of all the problems <laughs> except for left versus I'm right. I'm sure which we we're not going to get any more feedback nope. about this. That's it. No, nope. done it. Nope. We fixed the final it. high five. We finally did it. Uh, malware follow up. Oh boy, this is yep. a fun one. I can't yep. believe we're devoting so much time on this show to talking about malware in the it's year 2020. Yeah, um, a lot of feedback. We got feedback. I got feedback at Six Colors. Uh, the the boys over at ATP got some feedback because they've covered this uh, in, a, a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I felt real good about getting all of this feedback, which was mostly the feedback that we were receiving was mostly angry and feeling completely uh-huh. absolved. Like, cause I just feel like I had nothing to say about this really. Yep. So no, it's no. kind of just like, not me. <laughs> yeah. Just pass it on through. So here, here's, here's what happened. So uh, what I said was that malware bytes, which is a company that makes um, anti-malware software and released a report about uh, malware, which uh, was, it, I feel uh, kind of exaggerated and inflammatory. Um, it's also self-serving marketing <laughs> that I think overstates the extent of the issues of, of malware on the Mac and uh, makes a lot of things like, uh, you know, conflates malware and adware together um, and that their expert went to and was quoted in Recode talking about how Mac's not getting viruses isn't true. And I, I said that that was a scare tactic um, you know, people don't like being criticized, so I'm not surprised that there was pushback from that. Um, what bugs me is is that um, I, I said a lot of stuff, and I was just somewhat critical of them because the truth is, it's not like malware bites can say no, no, no. It isn't in our best interest for people to buy our software and services. Like, of course it is. It is self serving, and and you you need to keep that in mind when somebody tells you something, or when there's a news story that's really inflammatory. 
and because it's been the the writer has blown it up to be a bigger story than it is and then you find out that their source is somebody who works at a company who benefits from people having a perception that they need anti-malware software this is where where you get we've said this kind of stuff about like where, where the apple leaks come from yes it's you should always consider the source and take it with a grain of salt and that mm-hmm. and that means that means us that means them it means you should always consider the source and what they have to gain or lose by talking about the issue but i will also say I said a lot of stuff that I thought was pointed out by the Malwarebytes report that was good, um, which is why I'm kind of annoyed that they're like, oh, you, you, how dare you criticize us? Like, I thought that the point that Malwarebytes' guy made about the fact that um, people think the Mac is impervious, I think that there's a point there, which is people act like the Mac is impervious and do dumb stuff that gets them in trouble because it's not. And that if there's this perception among regular users that they can do whatever the heck on their Mac and it's not going to work because Macs, quote, Macs don't get viruses, that um, that's a problem because you can do dumb stuff with your Mac. And again, this is another thing that somebody said to me. How dare you call people who who get viruses dumb? Like, uh, that's not what I said. I said you could do dumb stuff. You can do stuff that, that you're not super savvy with computer security, that's I do dumb that's stuff not saying all somebody's the time. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> fair. I fair. live my life going from dumb stuff to dumb stuff. I, I'm not saying that the people are dumb. I'm saying that you can make bad decisions, mm-hmm. not even knowing what you're doing, and um, and if you believe you can do that and suffer no consequences, that's that's not great. And and so I'm not trying to say there aren't issues here. In fact, I think one of the great things that came out of that report is the the reality that um. Mac malware and adware especially is on the rise. The Mac is a big enough target and it's a sitting duck for some of these adware and malware companies. They, there's just too great an opportunity. So there's been a huge rise in adware. Um, this is also, by the way, I think not a coincidence why Catalina has much tighter security settings and why Apple did that thing in November where they basically clarified their saying their rules for being on the platform that includes a whole bunch of things that are not malware related, they're adware related, which gives them the latitude to basically kick software off, not just not the Mac App Store, off the platform using their other tools that they have at their disposal. And my understanding is that Apple has been more aggressive at that since November. There's a reason for that, which is there's been a rise in attacks in malware and especially, I mean, malware, again, there's some very specific definitions of these things, but the adware stuff, the annoying stuff, the programs that don't really do anything and they make it hard to remove it and they stick ads in weird places, all of that kind of stuff. Um, We did hear from a very interesting person who mm-hmm. says that he works uh, doing support for Apple Care, mm-hmm. um, and you know the email was a little overheated, a little uh, you know they've been and they've been emailing um, all of us. Uh, I'm not, I wasn't the only one to receive an email from the, mm-hmm. this person this week. I do think that there's some good information in there too. All right, so uh, this person told us that they spend around eight hours a week removing adware and malware from Macs. Um, I assume that they're at like some Apple Care Center and computers are sent into them. That was the the, the what I got. I don't know. This. I mean, I read it that they were just spending time on the phone with people trying to walk them through getting oh, it out. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's very possible. That's very possible. Um, and they said that most people do not know what is wrong with their computers, but it has stopped working in the way that they want, and then they eventually come to the uh, conclusion that it's malware or adware. And I've got a quote 
I've got a couple of quotes. The single most prevalent type of infection involves a convincing-looking browser pop-up that warns the user that they need to install or update their version of Adobe Flash Player. While most people in the upgrade audience wouldn't fall for this, it comes across as plausible for non-techie types. Right. Most of our audience knows that you shouldn't even have Flash Player on your system. And I think it gets deprecated later this year. Mm -hmm. It's going to cease entirely. But it it is a little pop-up ad comes up with a seemingly real dialog box, except it, you know, a... A more savvy user might notice it's a browser window, but you know, a less savvy user might not, and be like, "Oh, because because Flash always did pop up yes. warnings when you tried to load a Flash object, saying which is why they're mock, they're you know they're duplicating that. They're trying to get get you to believe that that's one of the, this is one of those." So another quote: Did Jason Snow or Mike Hurley need antivirus antivirus software on the Mac? No. Does an average Mac user in 2020 need third-party security software? AppleCare clearly thinks so, as our internal training quietly recommends we instruct customers to install the free version of Malwarebytes. In my experience, it has earned its reputation as a reliable and effective adware removal tool. It can't remove malicious user profiles and system preferences, but it makes quick work of pretty much everything else. So, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't and won't argue with this, because, like, I see this as all making sense... Well, this is this is one of the interesting things about the the people who push back on this is that sometimes I think they're arguing against things we didn't say. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think I would say the average Mac user needs to install third party security software. Um, I I think it is probably accurate to say that the average Mac user either needs to install third party security software or have a you know have an education about what not to do. Yes. Because I think, I think if you're running Catalina and you know what not to do, you're probably okay. Like this is not one of those things where you're just going to kind of catch it and you're like, Oh no, I caught a virus. I'm glad my software was there to protect me. You kind of have to do something. You have to be talked into doing something bad. And so education would work too. But I understand that doesn't always work no. and that uh, saying, all right, do whatever, but this software is in there. Um, you know, and, and I would say as annoying as Catalina is, and this person um, said this as well, um, as far as this person could tell, Catalina's updates and the increased security in Catalina has seemed to make a big difference that, that people running Catalina are not the ones who are calling in and saying, I've got malware or I've got adware on my computer. So, that's, so this uh, makes me question... You know, like, you were very vocal, uh, and and I understand why, about your dislike for the security dialogues in Catalina, right? Right. They were too aggressive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all saw the meme of, like, uh, Mac OS XP or whatever, you know, like, Vista, Mac OS Vista that was going around. But I think maybe the reason has been answered now. Like, why did they add all these Catalina security boxes and check marks and all this stuff everywhere well maybe app well apple knows that malware and adware was on the rise if this is the case that their support staff are dealing with this all the time they know this is affecting their users so they wanted to make some changes i mean you could assume i think from this information um that they wanted to make some changes to the way the system works but it's one of these situations where Apple won't tell you, right? Like when they when they get on stage and they talk about the security updates, if one of the reasons is because they want to protect people against malware and adware, 
Apple's not going to say that. Yeah, for for two reasons, right? One, Apple doesn't Apple benefits from the perception that Apple platforms are free yep. of adware and malware, right? So yep. they 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 have a marketing benefit of their own, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of bad form and security to if you're a platform vendor to do a little dance and say, ha, basically, come and get us, ha ha ha. That you don't do that, like mm-hmm. you don't do that. So Apple's also not going to go out there and say, look at how amazing we are uh, with our security. Be, they're going to keep it a little bit on the down low. So for both of those reasons, Apple is not going to uh, really talk about it. But um, I think you're right. As annoying as some of that, like, I don't love that. There are, there are several features in Catalina that I don't like, but I know why they're doing them. This is this was true even, we can talk about the implementations and about how they've balanced all of it, but clearly this has been a priority for them is to lock down Mac security. And I don't, if there was no need, they wouldn't do it, right? There mm-hmm. Clearly there is a need to lock this down and they see the difference in attack vectors on iOS where basically it has to be a bug where there's, you know, one of these things that like the state actors, like intelligence services and things are using that are bugs in the system versus on the Mac where you can just talk somebody into it and... That, that machine is compromised and they don't like that difference. They want Mac to be as tight as possible. If it could be as tightly secure as iOS, they would love it. Um, you know, so in the end, I'm not saying that all the malware companies are lying to you. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying security experts who install malware on people's systems are doing it just to make money and con you out of money. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying anytime you read a scary story about malware, especially on the Mac, check to see the source of information. Read the original, like read that Malware Bytes report. Don't just read the inflammatory story that says Macs now get more malware than Windows, which is just bananas. Uh, go to the go to the source. Consider what the source is. Um, one of the problems with malware information is a lot of it comes from companies whose business is selling anti-malware software, and that means they have something to sell you. It doesn't mean that they're lying. It doesn't mean that they aren't legitimately concerned about protecting people, but it does mean it's still marketing and you may not be getting the whole picture and just keep that in mind. If you're a savvy Mac user and most of our listeners, I would like to thank are, you probably don't need any of this software because of what I said before, you've got kind of some behavior in you and some education in you about what the issues are about things like only like only from the Mac App Store and trusted sources. And, you know, if some app has an installer and they want you to uh, type in your admin password, think about why that is happening. If they want you to disable uh, Mac OS security settings, don't install that software <laughs> unless you're absolutely sure what you're doing. Um, and And I think most of our listeners probably understand that. I do think that all of our listeners and and us we have friends and family and coworkers and other people that are near us who maybe look to us for knowledge about this stuff. And those not particularly savvy people, like I said, I think they would benefit potentially from some anti-malware software. And there are some that are free, that are free tier stuff. Um, I think they would also benefit from a little bit of an education from you about the ground rules of this so they're less likely to make those bad choices i think education can go a long way it is not it doesn't always work but you can you can try that and i think at this point i would say if they can go to catalina assuming that they are not using proprietary 32-bit software that is not been updated and they must have for their business which is probably a lot less likely um 
just put them on Catalina because Catalina really does tighten the screws on this stuff. And, and it sounds anecdotally like Catalina users are much less likely to get attacked by this stuff. But um, the final point I will make is, yes, the Mac is a much bigger target than it ever has been. Misleading and malicious software on the Mac is on the rise. This is why, almost certainly, why Apple tightened all those screws in Catalina, why it redefined its malware rules in November so that it has it can point to the rule book and say, I'm going to kill this app. And that's not Mac App Store rejections. That's putting things in the system that basically prevent those apps from running because they've de- determined that they're malware or otherwise like do not a- don't have the approval of the platform owner. And that's why they have those rules listed so that they can point to them and say, this is why we killed your app. Um, Apple doesn't talk about this stuff, but it is working behind the scenes to do this. So it's not as if, you know, if there's a question like, why isn't Apple doing something? Well, Apple is doing something. You can judge how effective that is. Um, And if, you know, there are a lot of people running old Macs on old versions of the OS that aren't as secure and they're more at risk for stuff like this. So it's not, you know, it's not true that, the Mac is impervious to attack. And that is important to recognize. And whether you think installing anti-malware software is the right thing to do, or whether you think just you're educated enough that you can uh, sniff out when somebody's trying to attack you and just not install that weird software. Um, If you're not going to darker places in the internet, a lot of this stuff is never going to reach you because a lot of this stuff gets embedded in piracy and porn. So if you're not going there, if you mostly are downloading things on the Mac App Store or from, you know, big companies, it's a lot less likely that you're ever going to be affected by stuff like this. And if you do get something weird that is popping up on your system, you can generally then go download that software, uh, that anti-malware software and scan and see what's going on. That's it. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Indeed. When you start the hiring process, you might have a few questions. Are you going to get good applicants to choose from? How will you be able to narrow them down by education and experience? And how are you going to know if you've made the right hire? Well, Indeed is there to help. With millions of great candidates use Indeed every single day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help you quickly create your short list of applicants. Plus, you can add skills Plus, you can add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com podcast and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com podcast terms, conditions, and exclusions apply this offer is valid through to march 31st 2020 once more that is indeed.com slash podcast a thanks to indeed for their support of this show and all of relay fm so should we do some upstream headlines sounds like a great idea apple has shared their first trailer for amazing stories the show will debut on friday march 6th with 10 episodes this is the anthology show produced by steven spielberg uh what are your opinions jason on seeing the trailer well, a lot of people have great nostalgia for Amazing Stories. I think they're a little younger than I am uh, because I remember when it came on and I was disappointed and I didn't like the original Amazing Stories. I mm-hmm. much preferred the new Twilight Zone that aired a few years before. So I look at this and 
some of it looks good. Um, and then the music starts playing and there's like an old uh, airplane flying. And I thought, oh, no, it's amazing stories, right? Like it, I, I don't I don't know. It's an anthology show. Um, Horowitz and Kitsis, the guys uh, who did this are, uh, uh, they were on Lost. They wrote for Lost. Um, I think they've done some other kind of J.J. Abrams uh, TV shows. And uh, it could be good. It's fi- It's uh they said five stories, so are they oh. only debuting five of them in the trailer? It says five, so it sounds like they're maybe splitting up the release and dropping five on March 6th and then another five a little bit later. Since okay. it's an anthology, they can probably get away with that. So I don't know. It could be good. It could be bad. It really is. It's going to come down to the writing and whether the stories truly are amazing, and I guess we'll all be the judge of that. Uh, Apple TV Plus production Shantaram has halted production. Uh, the, this is an adventure drama starring Charlie Hunnam, uh, based on the novel by Gregory Davis Roberts. There is apparently a writing backlog, and because of this, the showrunner, Eric Warren Singer, is now leaving the show. So did his dog eat his homework? Is that it what happened? It kind of seems like that's what happened, and now he has basically had to leave, or has been fired, and uh, that's that. Yeah. I think that is a, a sign that your showrunner is not doing their job if they can't con- keep the scripts coming mm-hmm. <laughs> while you're shooting the show. That's a, yep. that's kind of their job. That's n- number one job is actually keep the show running if you're the showrunner. Yes, that is very important. If the show mm. stops, you have not done your job as showrunner because mm, mm. you're not the show stopper. Uh, the showrunner became the show stopper and now it's it's uh, been paused. And HBO has announced that a Friends reunion will happen on HBO Max. It is going to be a one-off unscripted special that will kind of debut with like, oh, hey, we have friends here, you know? Yeah. Uh, apparently, it costs between 2.5 to $3 million per cast member. Yeah, I think... For, so for years after Friends went off the air, I, I thought to myself, and there were rumors about this at one point, like to get them back together mm-hmm. uh, in a scripted special, like... For Thanksgiving or something like that, and all the friends come together, and there's a little, little uh, story about it. Which is funny because in British TV that happens all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the reunion, special. the reunion special, the yeah. Christmas special, the holiday special, where like you know there there are these shows that have been on for twenty years or thirty years, but really they still only have about twenty episodes because they did two six episode seasons, and then every three or four years they do another Christmas special, and that's it. And I, I always thought that Friends would be a great example of that, where it's like, why not just spend the money and they'll get a huge rating and it'll be great. So you wait long enough and apparently somebody, everybody was like, I, I wonder if they even floated, like, could we do like a special Friends episode? And very clearly that was not going to happen. So these uh, actors just get paid several million dollars to like sit or, sit in the Central Perk set or something and reminisce about the show. Use that as a promo be, yeah, for right. HBO Max. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's smart on Warner Media's part to, yep. since they've got friends, to launch the return of friends to streaming with the, with this special uh, with the actors and presumably also the writers and producers with lots of like ancillary material like a big DVD extra basically promoting the the fact that it's on HBO Max. I mean obviously Jennifer Anderson's deal with Apple doesn't preclude her from doing this, but I am surprised though. Anyway, 
I don't know. It's I mean, it's literally just a, a reunion like conversation. It's like an interview. It's like agreeing to do an interview, yeah. basically. Yeah. It's not or a DVD extra. Like I said, it's not that. It's not a big That's deal. True. It's a one off. Come in on a on a Wednesday. Um, you know, spend a few Don't hours with Schwimmer and then leave. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's like a thing with with a few of them where they couldn't have done a scripted special for those types of reasons. You it's, know, po- like- it's possible. I think they none of them want to revisit it, and I've I've definitely heard the writers say that they that they like where they left it off, and that th- there are more questions than answers. If you say yep. what you know, what is chandler doing now like do we really want to know what chandler is doing now i don't i don't as a big fan of the show i want there to be it but i also don't you know what i mean the example would be will and grace which came back after many many years and they've done a couple seasons of it and i don't know how the fans of that show feel about do they i mean as an x-files fan i will tell you what i feel about the two seasons that they did of that you know decades after the show was on which is that i think it was kind of embarrassing and bad (laughs) and i didn't need to see it so but other people can be thrilled that their favorite they get to see their favorite characters a little bit more and i'm really enjoying star trek picard which is what what's captain picard up to now right like there's a whole show built around that so mm-hmm. i can see it going either way but clearly the writers and producers and actors and i, I i'll put it this way it i think they would have um offered them a why don't you come back and do one to eight episodes of friends 2020 for hbo max and uh that was not either not going to yeah. happen or would have cost so much money that it was not going to happen that was definitely how it started right like i it would be wild if that was not how they started those conversations but i expect if at least half of the cast were like no we're good right like we don't we don't want to do this like we have we have pretty good we got a pretty good thing going on you know like we we don't friends going back to friends might not be the best thing to do uh so i'm kind of pleased that they that they're doing it the way that they're doing it Apple have issued a press release stating that they will not meet their quarterly guidance figures due to disruptions caused by coronavirus. Uh, Mm. Quote, they are expecting a slower return to normal conditions than had been anticipated. Uh, Effectively, iPhone supply is constrained because their factories, some of them closed down for a while. Uh, Some of them are returning to operation, but with limited staff. There are lots of reports about the effects uh, of coronavirus on Foxconn, and they are varying, but you can kind of draw a line through all of them that just says it won't be as it was before Lunar New Year. Uh, yeah. And also, Apple have closed their Chinese Apple stores. They've been closed, and they don't know when they're opening them again. Uh, so this will obviously make an impact. You know, like you know, if you are following the news even just a little bit, coronavirus is affecting all manufacturing. Yeah, this is not just Apple. In fact, my understanding is that Apple may end up being like the Apple's doing pretty good <laughs> even though cuz they're on top of this mm-hmm. but it it's it's going to cost them they were they were doing conservative guidance they said because they were concerned about coronavirus and how it was going to impact their operations and they have um had to restate already and it's like no no it's going to even be worse than we thought when we gave our conservative guidance so uh, but they're not they're far from the only uh, company affected by this and you know this is a world of global supply chains and you have an issue here where there's a disease spreading and there are restrictions in travel and it's gonna impact the global economy and apple is a part of that yep if you are making anything in china it is a problem i am a person who is aware of this 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's difficult. It's and it's mm-hmm. it's upsetting too. And you know, it seems like people are trying to manage it, but it's something that's spreading and could let's talk about WWDC. Could affect WWDC this year. So let's like lay the groundwork for this. So Mobile World Congress in Barcelona was canceled. Um there are lots of conferences that are having big companies skip. So, like, I think Sony skipped PAX this year. Um, GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, is having a couple of things happening to it. Uh, one is a bunch of companies aren't going to be attending. Um, and there are also kind of travel restrictions on people from certain countries, right? So, like, if you were coming from China, well, you can't, right? Because... One, most airlines, pretty, I don't think any airlines at the moment are operating flights from uh, to and from China from certain I think, countries. I think there are some, but it's very limited. Very, very limited. And, you know, as well, like if you are coming to America from China, I mean, at the moment, I think like good luck getting in, I think would be very difficult for you right now if you're if that's like a thing that you are trying to do. Now, we are currently in February. WWDC is in June, and in between now and then, who knows what could happen, right? Like, coronavirus is starting to spread through Europe now. So, what could happen come June? Yeah, I think it is worth asking the question that's already going around, which is, Apple has a worldwide conference in June, and it's early yet, but we've seen, uh, they can't, they essentially, they canceled Mobile World Congress, um, the, I, I, it's worth at least speculating what Apple is thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Apple is going to bring people in from all over the world, and you know, would they consider changing or closing down WWDC? We would expect WWDC information to be released probably within the next three weeks. It's usually in mid March. Is like when we would expect, like, hey, 2020's coming, right? Like, here are the dates, right? That's kind of the typical time that it gets announced. So I guess it's between now and then what is going to occur. I mean, it might be, like, as well, that Apple don't really have a lot of say because it might be that they announce it and everything's fine, but then come June, a lot of non-US participants might not be allowed to go, right? Because yeah. of, of travel restrictions. Um, and I guess really it's up to Apple right now to decide what are they going to do, right? Like, are they talking about it? I'm sure they are. Like, would they skip it? But here's the question. Could they skip it, Jason? Could WWDC be skipped? Well, uh, of course it could. Um, in fact, Apple already streams its sessions live to the world and mm-hmm. archives them. And that part is all in place. And... uh they could do that because they reach way more people with that than the people who are able to physically attend. Mm-hmm. Um, what it would miss is the point of meeting in person, which is that you get, you know, developers get to talk to Apple engineers directly mm-hmm. in a way that they don't any other time. And they get to talk to developers, get to talk to one another. Um, and there's, you know, there's all this value in that. And we have a great time and it's fun and people learn stuff and it's great. Um, but the downside is, you know, there's a disease spreading. It's also very expensive. Not everybody can come. So there's, it's really kind of a disparity. They have that lottery, but you also have to, it's, you know, be able to afford to come and stay in San Jose, which is very expensive. So 
you know, I, I, this has been a question for a long time now, which is like, does the 21st cent- century need giant in-person events or are they a dinosaur? And, you know, a lot of trade shows have faded away, but some of these events still stay because there is, and I don't think it's a, a mass hallucination. I think there is some value in having face-to-face conversations. Um, I could maybe make an argument that Apple, if I was... If I was inside Apple, I could maybe make the case that what what we ought to do is different and we roll out stuff via videos and live streams and we do kind of regional events where we talk to developers. But so you could re-engineer Apple's developer conference to be different. But it isn't, right? Like their whole identity, their software schedule like everything is based on this big event in June. So I don't know. I I really don't know the answer here, but I think what's really important is that we start to ask the question and I'm sure they're doing this inside Apple, which is what is the alternative to a traditional WWDC if in 2020 there, there are still kind of some pretty serious uh, travel restrictions as this virus is spreading. I don't know. It would be a great shame, you know, to, yeah. to not have the event. But they can, they can if they want. I mean, all of the things like setting out the roadmap, like they can do all of that, right? That they can do that presentation. They can from their campus, right? They like can. they can do it from the Steve Jobs Theater, and they can do the keynote that they want to do. Yep. And then they can, you know, they're a big company. They can create some kind of system. You know, like if they want to allow for during that week period of time, there's like an online system which could replace the speaking to developers. You know, like I'm sure there's something they could do there or they could just not do that. And that WWDC 2020 is we have a bunch of presentations that we're going to do for you. They're all going to be online. And that's that's all it's going to be, because I can imagine them not wanting to create a precedent of allowing for the type of labs to be done online. Right. Because it's unsustainable um, for them, I would assume, because their engineers need to engineer. And so, you know, yeah, my gut feeling is that they really, you know, want to keep going and figure that a- after a few months, this is all going to kind of be uh, a moot point. Um, but, and I, I do wonder if they have always had a what if plan in place and if they haven't they really ought to get one there has to be one there has to be one i feel like their their um their fallback plan would probably be to cancel it do a uh do a press event um and probably do some sort of thing where they are sending out engineers into various regions for you know uh, a, a road tour kind of thing but um you know, it's possible that we, you know, we live in a world now where there are these uh, virus emergences that happen and the world goes on lockdown and it's just enough to finally cause that change where people say, hey, maybe flying a lot of people all over is wasteful and expensive and we don't need to do it and we can just use the Internet. Maybe this is the thing that pushes that over the edge. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this show, how would you know if your website was having some problems? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your content? You could stumble across it by luck. You could sit and refresh your web page all day, but that's no good. You want a system for it. You need someone to. T- you need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your website, and more importantly, when it isn't. 
That's why you need Pingdom, because Pingdom detects around 13 million outages across the web every month. That's more than 400,000 every day of the sites that they're monitoring. Pingdom help will help keep your website and the sites that you love online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts about critical website issues. They'll let, Pingdom will let you know uh, exactly what you want to know, how you want to know it, because they'll let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. So if you have a problem that can only be fixed by this person, well, you can have it set up that that person will know if that problem occurs. It's really, really smart stuff. Plus, they will track and analyze your website's load time for you so you can see what is affecting your user's experience, which is super important. You want to make sure that your customers, your visitors, are getting the best experience possible, and Pingdom can help you provide that. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach of getting started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they will take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. There is a Ming-Chi Kuo report that's breaking as we're recording this show. Uh, that 2021 will see the first Mac with an ARM processor. If you will allow me to read this quote, which was oh, yes. uh, republished by Mac Rumors from Ming-Chi Kuo. We expect that Apple's new products in the 12 to 18 months will adopt processors made by a 5 nanometer process, including the new 5G iPhone and iPads equipped with mini-LED coming in the second half of 2020. That's an interesting thing there. That's a little mm-hmm. tidbit. We were talking about that that potential other iPad, maybe there is going to be a new screen technology to it too. Mm. This is me talking, not Michi Kuo. I'll go back to what Michi Kuo said now. And the new uh, 2021 first half of the year Mac equipped with their own design processor. We think that iPhone 5G support, iPad's adoption of innovative mid-sized panel technology, and Mac's first adoption of their own design processor are Apple's critical product and technology strategies. So this is something, a few things in here to unpack. 5G iPhone, we figured we knew that. Uh, we knew, we believed there will be iPads this year, and we were talking about the idea of a second iPad later in the year with 5G support. While Ming Chi Kuo is saying that this may also be what has been rumored to be the mini LED, so mm. a new screen technology. That would be interesting if they did that. Yeah, um, maybe that's not on the iPad Pro, though. Maybe that's on a, a different model that replaces the kind of mid range mm, iPad. That weird? If that's a better technology, wouldn't it be strange to not see it come to the Pro first? Mm hmm. But we don't know, though. Uh, and also, so that the key part of this, though, is 2021, a Mac equipped with Apple's own design processor, benefiting on the 5 nanometer process, coming in the A14 chips. So what do you think about this? I mean, this this is much more of a timeline than anybody else has been able to provide, I feel like. And, you know, Ming-Chi Kuo is not always spot on, but has a very proven track record of getting things within a time period right what do you think about this Uh, we've been waiting for it It, it'll mean that all of my predictions of uh 2020 arm max will be wrong again although yes and or no a 2020 shipping mac doesn't mean you won't find out about it in 2020 it's possible like this could be part of the conversation they could announce that they're doing this um uh, even at wwdc in june if it happens so (laughs) i i think uh, you know, we've been waiting for it, and I don't think that this necessarily means that all Apple products are going to go at, right away or all to Apple's own design processors. I, I think it 
the Mac has some challenges on the high end in terms of ARM processors, but it's clearly a direction that they've been going and they want... It, you look at it. I did a chart, um, uh, this weird chart on Six Colors last week about There's price and performance compared to Geekbench. And, uh, you know, Mac laptops don't fare very well is the short version of it. They don't fare very well because they don't have, like, the the uh, iPad processors are more powerful. And this is a challenge for Apple. This is a real challenge for Apple. So, like, we were talking about the AMD potential recently. Right. I mean, I would... My thinking is, like, it feels like everything is on the table right now, still. Like, I I still see all of these things happening. Like, I can still imagine a future where some MacBook Pros or Mac Pros or iMacs get processor options that are not Intel processors whilst also moving to ARM on the entry-level products, right? It's possible. I mean, th- th- this is this is the mystery, is what all goes ARM. Um, I'm really skeptical about the idea that Apple is going to very quickly just go to all ARM, all Apple design processors across all the Macs. I don't think it's going to happen, but... Um, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. It's fascinating. We are we are entering a real uh, era of uncertainty, and it's been clear that it was coming for a long time. But we don't know what Apple strategy is going to be. My gut feeling is that Apple strategy is going to be focused on consumer models on mobile because you get big power benefits there, and there aren't the needs for the highest of high end uh, performance. But what we've seen with the iPad Pro processor, which keep in mind is is a uh, more than a year old now, is Apple can make a processor that has the power that the laptop market, that all but the highest end of the laptop market uh, needs. Mm-hmm. And that, so why not? Like everything but the high-end MacBook Pro and the Mac Pro, maybe? There was a uh, report from Mark Gurman at Bloomberg uh, this week, past, this past week, stating that Apple is considering allowing users to set their own default apps for web browsers and mail apps specifically. Um, it's worth considering that if they were to allow web browsers like Chrome to become the standard web browser, they would be using WebKit because that is something that is in the uh, Apple guidelines for iOS, right? Like you can't use your own uh, web engine, you have to use WebKit and Chrome, for example, on iOS does use WebKit, but it comes with features of, for example, of having all of your tabs synced with Chrome on the desktop, that kind of stuff, right? Which is how I used it for so long, but now I'm all in on Safari because of iPadOS. But it was a thing that you could do. So this seems like a thing that would inevitably happen. Uh, it feels like something we've been asking about for a very long time. It kind of feels like there is an increase again in talking about antitrust, uh, like Spotify. We're going to talk about music in a minute, but Spotify has already come after Apple, right, for for kind of locking down and and holding the platform for themselves. Do you think that this is kind of a if Apple were to do this, a move against potential legislation coming their way in the future? Uh, I think Apple sees which way the wind is blowing in terms of people, you know, regulators and politicians talking about regulating big tech and looking at some of Apple's practices and questioning them. Mm -hmm. And while some of the 
questioning that happens seems weird, like questionable to me. Like that doesn't make sense. Um, I think if you're Apple, you want to have a conversation about like what you are doing and try to, you know, you want to try and narrow the scrutiny. So this is an interesting example of Apple, you know, maybe already thinking about doing it, but this is a way to get it prioritized, right? This is a way to be like, well, we could do this, but why? And then it's like, well, oh, here's why is that everybody is really scrutinizing us. And if we do this, we can look all magnanimous and say, no, 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 of course the App Store is a fair competition. And uh, you can, you know, we're, we're going to do this. They may also anticipate that they're, you know, the EU or something is going to require stuff like this. You know, they're already dealing with this issue about if the EU is going to require the iPhone to have a USB-C port on it, which is a very complicated issue um, about like whether the whether they say that the charger has to be USB-C or whether the phone end has to be USB-C and if an adapter is okay or not. Like there's all these issues, but like it's an example where a regulator put, could potentially force Apple to change its designs. And that's really unpleasant and scary if you're apple so i think they want to get out ahead here on some of this and say look no 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 we're uh we're not we're not bad we uh we are are providing an open platform for people who make alternatives to what we're doing and um i do think that it's a mixture with apple of one in control but also just not thinking that it's worth spending the effort to open things Mm -hmm. I, i do think that's a part of it is just why prioritize this? Not so much, no, we must fight to keep control as much as it's like, yeah, well, we built it so that we controlled it. And now we would have to put effort into making it uh, less controlled by us. So we're not going to prioritize that and sort of shrug it off. And uh, we live now in an environment where they, they need to not do that. <laughs> Apple is also considering allowing users to choose their own default music streaming service for the HomePod. This could potentially also be an option on iOS. But so, for example, instead of needing to say to to your HomePod, play something on Spotify, you would just say play something and it would start. This is exactly how the Amazon Echo works. It comes as default set to Amazon Music, but you can go into the Alexa app and change to, you know, Apple Music, uh, Spotify and the like. And then when you ask for music, it will just play it from the service that you have asked it to play it from, which I would say as a user is a much nicer experience um, mm-hmm. I use very few uh, of the default Apple apps, you know, and I've kind of got used to it over time. But I would love when I press the button, a link in Safari to send an email for it not to open the mail app. I want it to open my chosen email app. When I see a message and I get, a, you know, it highlights a little d- a date to add to a calendar, I would like it when I tap that to open Fantastical and not Apple's calendar. So I would love this. You know, as a company that really champions third-party application development, this is just a great way to show how great the, the development platform is, right? Like, and, and if you want your apps to be used by your customers, make them as good as they could possibly be. Right. And my hope would genuinely be, right, that like if Apple did have to do this or decides to do this, it may also have the secondary benefit of Apple's default apps becoming better, which would be lovely. Um, but my question on this, Jason, is web browsers and mail apps, that is not enough. I want to see calendar, messaging, task manager, contacts, camera, and notes as well, just as a start. I I, I see what you're saying. I think web browser and uh, 
and email. email are the most important because they're the yep. most embedded. Like the web browser is the big one because it's like, what do you do with a link? Mm-hmm. What do you do with a link? And there are ways for apps to register for links. And there are uh, links that just go to the web. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have the web browser to be able to say, you know what? No, I want to use Chrome. I want Chrome to open everything because I use Chrome on the desktop. And I want, you know, all the reasons that you have used Chrome in the past. Um, I want that. I don't want to have this confusing system. I don't want to have individual apps have to implement their own ask me what browser I should use thing. That's stupid. Like you should be able to change it and then they'll go there. And similarly, email, if I click on an email link, no, maybe you're not going to be able to slide up that uh, that email sheet and have it be there automatically from out of Apple Mail. But right now, if people aren't using Apple Mail, they get that sheet anyway and it's bad because it doesn't work right because it's not set up. So, you know, if the behavior changes so that when you tap on that link, it switches you to the Gmail app or whatever, or uh, some other third-party app, then that's a better user experience. And everybody else who doesn't set that can have it be uh, the Apple mail experience. I think beyond that, you could set up other apps, but I just, I feel like, I feel like the default is not as relevant for a lot of them. Like there are, there are fewer cases where you tap somewhere and you're swept away to an, a different Apple app. But yes, in the long run, you, any any case like that, you would want to be able to have it be mm-hmm. uh, taken over. I, I think I think actually what needs to happen is that there needs to be, this is related to a, a piece I wrote on Macworld uh, last week, week before, which is about having choice for files, opening files in iOS in different places. Like it, it's so, we've got a file manager on, on the iPad, but it's so stupid compared to the Mac mm-hmm. in terms of like what it allows you to open. And and it's like user choice. So letting users choose what apps open what files and letting users choose what kinds of links open where, there should just be an interface for that. And then there should be an API for that. It's actually, Android has a really elegant solution for this. Like when you open a file, it gives you the applications that can understand it, which is what Mac, the Mac does, which is what uh, Windows does. I mean, the way that the iOS does it is really ugly right now, where it just gives you this long list, right? It, 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 which is just terrible. And a lot of the applications are completely irrelevant. Um, but And then it just says like, do you want to always open files in this application? And you can just say yes or no it's very simple and then you can go into settings and change them i would like to see that kind of thing happen uh, on ios as well right like i completely agree with you some of the ones that i mentioned right they they aren't completely obvious like calendar messaging tasks contacts camera notes right that was the list a lot of them honestly is just setting defaults so siri will put things in the right place right so i don't have to say like in to do it, like if I just say set a task, right? Like it doesn't go to do this. Camera is one of the bigger ones for me. So like basically all of the system built-in shortcuts to bring up a camera, right? Like maybe I would want to bring up a different camera application, right? right? Like the home screen thing, the the messages app, like all that kind of stuff would be kind of nice. But the majority of these would be just setting like where the system saves things via Siri or whatever. But and I but I am in agreement with you that web browsers and email apps should be the start of this because they are the ones that are the most linked to random places in the system. Right. right? Um, so it would be really nice to see this. Uh, really nice to see Apple open this up. But it also feels like something that potentially inevitably they're going to have to do anyway. So they may as well start work on it before they're forced to, which I think is probably the best thing to do. 
All right, let's finish up this episode with some hashtag Ask Upgrade questions. Uh, today, that's, this wonderful segment is brought to you by our friends over at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale that you need to take your project to the next level. Linode have 11 data centers worldwide, including their, including their newest in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a stunningly good price. You can get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you will get access to a revamped cloud manager built on an open-source single-page app, nano plans starting as low as $5, dedicated CPU plans for physical cores reserved just for you on one-click installs of the most popular apps, including WordPress, the LAMP stack, and game servers for Minecraft, and so much more. That Minecraft one is awesome, by the way. Like, just being able to do that with one-click incredible go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade 2020 when creating a new linode account and you will get access to a 20 dollar credit towards your next project and linode are hiring right now go to linode.com slash careers to find out more but if you want to get yourselves that credit that is linode.com slash upgrade and the promo code upgrade 2020 for that 20 dollar credit our thanks to linode for their continued support of this show and all of relay fm uh, we have some hashtag ask upgrade questions. The first comes from Alexi who says, Mike, you have said many times that all email clients are terrible. What for you <laughs> makes them terrible and how would you fix them or what would you add? So this is my old adage. I have retweeted this tweet of mine many times and it's usually because I'm upset about something, which is quite simply, all email apps are bad. I don't understand why this occurs, but it does like, Everybody has their own preferences for email, how they like to manage email, what they want their email app to do. And it feels like no email application can answer anybody's specific requirements, but they could have them solved by two, right? That you could be like, I, I'm, this email app works perfectly for me except for this one thing. And then you find another app, oh, this app does that one thing, but it doesn't do the other thing. You know, there is no email app that is truly good. I would like to point people to, I'll do some follow-out and ask upgrade, to uh, episode number 18 of Adapt here on Relay FM, where Federico dives into a bunch of uh, third-party email apps um, on iOS and has many struggles because he has a list of requirements and cannot get them filled. Uh, I basically just feel that like email apps are complicated and they do require lots of preferences and that is what it is, right? And it's just a case of like they won't do everything that you want, therefore making them bad. That is my feeling on why email apps are bad. Okay. Josh asks, which is your least favorite Apple app icon on iOS? Do you have one, Jason? Of all of the apps that Apple ships on the iOS platform... You go first, and I'll think about it. Mine is remote, because it just feels lazy. It's just like a gray icon with the Apple TV remote on it. On it, like, yeah. It's just not very good. Um, I do want to give an honorary mention to the camera app icon here. I feel like more could be done, considering how beautiful the photos icon is. Like I feel like in 2020... Nobody really uses cameras that look like the camera app icon. 
Like, let's not do to cameras what we did to email, where email icons are letters, physical letters, which、mm-hmm. email never has been, right? So, why don't we make camera app icons look like cameras on the back of smartphones instead, right? Like, they don't need to look like SLR cameras. That is my, that is my request here. Like, I would like the camera app icon to mirror the camera on the back of my phone because I think that would look super cool. So, that is how I feel on that one. All right, let's talk color.、Um, the phone app is,、um, by the way, a picture of a, an old phone handset, which、yeah. is funny,、oh. um, is green.、Mm-hmm. And so, the SMS app on the iPhone originally was also green because they were kind of linked. It's now messages, it's now mostly about iMessage. Uh, iMessages are blue. blue. <laughs> yeah. So、Great. I'm going to answer this question in a creative way, which is Josh,、um, my least favorite Apple app icon is messages because it should be blue. I think that's a great answer, Jason. That's very good. Johan has a very topical question regarding ARM Macs. Oh. We have a couple about ARM Macs today, actually. So Johan says Do you think that Apple may have asked Adobe to develop an iOS version of Photoshop so that it's ready for a potential ARM Mac transition? I can't imagine Apple launching a Mac that could not run Photoshop.、Yeah. So the answer is no.、Um, the chip doesn't matter as much as the platform、mm-hmm. that you're developing it for.、Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac apps will be able to be recompiled to run on ARM. And so I can't imagine Photoshop on an ARM Mac being based on Photoshop for iOS. It'll be based on Photoshop for Mac OS and it'll be recompiled to run on ARM. Also, it's worth、and、noting that you know, Microsoft are、uh, working on ARM processes as well, right? So, like, Adobe is very、yeah. aware of the fact yeah, that. Yeah, there's like, an ARM version of Windows. Yeah. It's, it, that's, that's what's going on. It's not,、uh, I would say, not related. We do have another question about ARM here. This comes from Lee. Lee is confused because Lee says, if my iPhone A12 chip is as fast as a laptop processor already, with all of the extra space and power available in a laptop body, why wouldn't Apple just now dump two or four of them in a laptop and give me something that is as fast as a rocket ship? Like, what is the, what is the holdup? Um, well, first off, I don't think you can just stick、uh, a bunch of chips in a laptop and say that it's faster. I、mm-hmm. think that's not how it works. And if you look at the way that the processor in the iPad Pro、uh, runs, it is、uh, custom built for the iPad Pro and is different and has more cores and all, all those sorts of things.、Um, there is some truth in this. <laughs>、um, I think the challenge is that you have to build a whole system around it. And these processors, at least up to now, were not built for Mac OS. And you have to compile, you do have to comp- recompile the software. And there's, there's a lot that goes into a platform transition, and it's a mess. And you can't just sort of like take a chip off the line and stick it in. Although I will bet you that Apple does have iPhone processors in Mac prototypes running Mac OS in their lab. But when they do this for real, they're going to do it. It's a, big, it's a big endeavor, and they want to get it right. And they want that first processor to be custom built for the Mac. And my guess is. You know, there's enough of a turnaround time that, you know, they, they probably have that processor, but it's not ready to roll out because they can't make it yet. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's coming. It's coming. But、um, I, I would say it's more complicated than maybe you're thinking because there are a lot of moving parts and, and you can't just sort of throw some iPhone chips in a, a Mac and say it's good enough. Yeah. There's a lot of like stuff around all of it, right? Like that would need to be. 
looked at. Like, for example, what would graphics look like? Yeah. Right? Did, do Apple have to work on something on their own there? Like, yeah. what are they going to do? Right? Like, there's a lot that goes into it. It isn't just as simple as, like, taking an Intel processor out and putting an ARM processor in. You have to basically start from the beginning, as you should, right? Because you want to make sure that if you're going to do this, you you really make it worth it. And if the processes are faster, like how much faster can you make them? You know, and I think that that's probably what Apple's working on, because whenever right. they do this, they really want it to seem like a no brainer for people. And if it's a mobile processor, it's all about balancing the power, mm-hmm. you know, with the power efficiency, with the speed of the processor that you want it to be power efficient. You want these to last a long time. And on this is such you an know, incredible we, selling point. We've, we've seen them build multiple cores where they've got the efficiency cores and they've got the power cores and it, it switches between them or it runs all of them depending on what you need. And I imagine all of that is, is part of the consideration. But I, I really do think that, you know, if you've got an A13 and an A13X, um, you won't have like the A13 x or a 13 m in a mac it will probably be like i keep saying this but i feel like it'll be like the m1 or something Mm -hmm. like that they're going to call it it's a mac um, processor it's a mac processor it's not going to just be something that's off the you know it's also the one that's in the ipad pro i mean because it is very possible that they have a completely new integrated system on a chip anyway right yeah yeah and actually I'll, i'll take that back it could be the same one that's in an ipad pro uh, possibly, Maybe. I doubt it, but possibly Maybe. it's not going to be the same one that's in an iPhone because the that's too far. It's too much. Can you imagine like two day battery life? Can you imagine? Yeah, because that could be yeah. possible, right? Like I mean, you could get that, like twenty hours. The batteries that, have so, so much bigger. That six colors chart I made, where it's sort of like the MacBook Air, it's like eleven hundred dollars, and it is not that. It's not very fast, and the iPad Pro is so much faster. And that starts at seven ninety nine, mm-hmm. and you know, a keyboard doesn't cost that much. <laughs> like it's it's like it, Apple is giving away power and battery life by not switching to ARM. Oh man, uh, yeah. I really hope that they do go for battery life over making them super thin. Sure. Right. That's what I want. Like, I think that's the key thing to do here. Like, if you want maximum portability, go for an iPad, but you can get like crazy battery life on a Mac laptop running an ARM chip. That That's my hope. Finally today, Andrew asks, do you think Apple should aggregate the different volume controls on the iPhone to make it so you can see and change them all in one place? I find that my ringtone, for instance, is unexpectedly high. I would like this because... I don't know if you've ever tried to change ringtone volume, but when you do that, it immediately plays your ringtone to show you how loud the volume is, like if you go into settings. I typically don't want this to happen. Like I, I think it'd be really nice if you just could long press on the volume UI in Control Center and get controls for all of this, right? So you could say, like, I want my system volume to be like this. I want my uh, ringtone volume to be this, my alarm volume to be this. Like I would quite like that. Yeah, I want to know what that would look like, but I do agree. I've seen both sides, right? Having a having a single volume gets really frustrating. I have you had that moment where you're like, I want to adjust the system volume and not the alert volume, and mm-hmm. so you have to wait until like the voice speaks in Apple Maps, and then you quickly change the volume. Um, it's not great having two and having only one of them accessible at a time, but at the same time, it's also not great having like multiple volume sliders and like which one does what and all of that. So it's a, it's a UI issue. It's, it's, I, I hear you. I, I get it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. 
If you'd like to send in a question for the end of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and it may be included for a future episode. Please send those in. I'd love to get some loads for next week. That'd be wonderful. Uh, if you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcarlos.com, and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. Uh, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. This show is a part of Relay FM. Uh, you can find this show many more over at relay.fm slash shows. Uh, our thanks to Linode, Pingdom, and Indeed for their support of this episode. And, of course, to you for listening. And thank you to everybody who sent in follow-up. We had a lot of wonderful follow-up, a lot of wild follow-up this week. Uh, thank yes. you to everybody who took the time to do that. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.